What's going on, everyone? My name is Alex Jarba with Sargon Investments, and you're listening to the SME Stories Podcast. You are now listening to the next great small business podcast. Welcome to the SME Stories Podcast, where it is all about small businesses in Canada. And here's your host, Ken Alfred. Hey, everybody. Thanks for downloading the show. We had a great episode today with Alex Jarbo. Alex Jarbo is the owner of Sargon Investments. So a little bit about Alex. He is a short-term rental developer and manager. He was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, where he served four and a half years in the Marine Corps, where he was stationed in Washington, D.C., as part of the Marine Corps Honor Guard. He left the Marine Corps at 22 to pursue a career as a real estate professional. And like I said before, he is the founder and CEO of Sargon Investments, and he has a goal of developing 650 cabins in the next three years. Alex holds an MBA with a concentration in real estate development and is currently finishing a doctorate in business with a concentration on leadership. He also hosts a YouTube channel called Alex Builds, where he teaches the ins and outs of short-term development and management. And one fact, actually, Alex is a Guinness Book of World Records holder and has been practicing street magic as a hobby for the past 15 years. So it's going to be a great episode today, guys. I'm looking forward to uh, learning more about his, obviously his stories and everything like that, but also curious about uh, what record holder, sorry, what world record he does have, and maybe he might perform a trick or two. So sit back and absorb. All right. We have Alex Jarbo from Sargon Investments. Alex, how you doing, my friend? Thanks for having me on, man. Anytime, anytime. It's uh, how's the weather? That and you're based in California, right? So I'm I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. North yeah, Carolina. Yeah. Sorry, my mistake. I don't know why I assume everyone's from California, but okay, North Carolina. And how's everything there? Really good. Sunny day today. Beautiful day. We're in the mountains here, so really pretty day. Oh, the mountains would be nice. I'm not putting my curtains up because it's it's just really gloomy and rainy right now. So that's why I'm not going to be doing that. So <laughs> and excellent. So yeah, we're gonna have a great chat with Alex today. And uh, like I said, he's like, it's funny because I'm, I'm now starting to get more guests. Now, the funny thing is this show is generally about uh, small business in Canada, but right. I'm now starting to get more and more people from the United States, which my point was now my latest data was telling me is about 60% of my listeners, even though this is all about Canada. So we're worldwide, I guess. And like I mentioned in the last episode too, third place belongs to Belgium. Belgium, so, love it. So Alex, you know, I got a, a lot of experience in Canada. My, I, I'm born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and the bridge, the bridge to Canada is right there. So we used to go to Canada. I mean, we go to Canada all the time, even when we visit family. Still, oh yeah, we have absolutely. a wedding. We have a wedding in Canada in a couple months, actually. Oh yeah, in Toronto, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming, or is it going to be yeah. Ontario? Yep, yeah, it's in Toronto. All right, make sure you download that Arrive Can app or something, because apparently, the oh tourists... yeah, for sure. I've already done it for my mom because she has some family in Canada. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well. Anyway, so, so today is today. Sorry, it's try to So today's theme is actually going to be about short-term rentals, and Alex is the expert in this. So, and he's the owner of Sargon Investments. So, Sargon Investments, what's your story? Yeah, so I um, though I'm a wicked sir all the way from the back. So I, I joined the military when I was 17, 18 years old. I was part of the United States Marine Corps. Um, towards the end of my enlistment, my I was in it for four and a half years. Uh, the last year, I sort of decided I didn't want to re-enlist or want to do my own thing, went to college, wanted to go to college and everything like that. Um, but uh, I just started reading up on books, read, uh, reading up on different classes of investing, whether it be stock market, crypto, real estate. Uh, real estate sort of grabbed my attention just because you had a little bit more control over it, um, which which I which I really liked. Um, at the time, there, there weren't really any, six years ago now, there weren't any really short-term rental books written on the topic. There were a couple... Um, but they were really, really outdated. Um, so I leaned really heavily on multi multifamily apartment books and 
I had joined um, like a flipping mentorship to flip properties. Um, and I realized the owner of that, um, the owner of that mentorship, a, a lot of his long-term wealth was tied into short-term rentals. Um, so I got him on a call. I was like, Hey, I want to, um, I'm moving away. I was originally stationed in Washington, DC. I was like, Hey, I, I really want to be, um, I want to get into short-term rentals. I'm not really interested too much in the flipping. I'd flipped a couple houses, but I didn't like, I didn't like the whole, yeah, you got like a whole bunch of money if you did it right at the end of the sale, but I didn't really like putting anywhere between six to eight months into a project just to sell it off at the end. Um, so short term, uh, we did the numbers and then sort of looked at different markets and decided where I live right now in Asheville, North Carolina, um, is the market we chose. So like the day I got out of the military left, um, left DC and then drove straight to here, got my real estate license when I moved here. And then I just started helping people purchasing and selling short-term rentals. Um, and from that learned a lot about like contracts and just the way the contracts work in the, here in the United States and specifically in the state that I live in. Um, and I just started looking for a property for myself. I mean, that's why I moved here, right? So look for a property for myself. Couldn't at the time, couldn't find anything that was either in my price range, or if it was in my price range, it wouldn't have done well as a short-term rental. It would have mainly done well as like a long-term rental for like a family or a couple to stay in, but it was just like, I, I say, like, I don't like to say boring houses, but just like, there wasn't anything unique about the properties. Um, so I just decided to build my very first real estate investment outside of the flipping that I had done. Um, and it was an 800 square foot A-frame that we own to this day. Um, and one turned into two, two turned into four. And like right now, just this year alone, we're developing 24 of them. And sorry, Alex, and this is still, you're talking about development from the ground up. So not like yeah, taking ground, an existing thing and no, tearing uh, it yeah. down. You're talking ground like up, raw ground. land to, to, to that. Yeah. Wow. That, that sounds really cool. I mean, to, to a lot of people that sounds also very scary because you're just thinking, okay, so to dig dirt, but then you got to. You know, is it hooked up to the septic system or is it hooked up to the city, all the permits, all the environmental feasibility studies, they, they're freaking out about that. And I assume like, uh, you know, shameless plug that your course will probably talk about stuff like these as people start to try to develop this, right? Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, oh, like, I mean, we, we were talking about the course, but uh, I put together a course uh, that we could talk about towards the end. Um, uh, essentially, I created a course that I wish I had when I started six years ago, um, because what like what that course teaches is exactly what I do on a day-to-day -day basis. And that course is going to be getting updated. It's launching in a couple of days, but it'll be updated as I'm doing stuff as well. All good. So it's, it's not just buy once never, you know, and then being stuck with something outdated, it'll be costly. Oh no, because I'm, I'm, I'm in the business that I'm teaching about. I'm, I mean, I've, I've coached over a hundred students at this point. Um, and it's like, I like, yeah, it's like, I'm, I, I wouldn't want to take advice from someone that's not in it, in the weeds, like in the weeds, like day-to-day -day stuff yeah it's it's more credibility for people who've actually done it so no that's great so so when it comes to short-term rentals so how did you like what was it about short-term rentals that really drew you to it like i know yeah like for I most like, real estate it's all about oh the like you said the fix and flip or the buy and hold and all that sort of stuff so what was it about yeah. short terms i mean our 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 real estate is definitely buy and hold um like i don't like like i said with the flipping stuff i don't like putting a year 14 months 16 months now into a project with and then selling it off at the end i mean it's awesome it's a great payday but we just do a cash out refinance like to pull out a, a big portion of the equity um but what drew me to short-term rentals was just the uniqueness of it and just the cash flow of it um like the so if you do it right some of these properties can throw off two three four thousand dollars in cash flow a month um, compared to say like a long-term rental or say like an apartment building where you might be getting anywhere between two to $800 a month. Like 
it, it, like when I looked at like my goals, it, that was the quickest way to get to my cash flow numbers of like, okay, I want to make a hundred thousand. I want to make a million a year, whatever the number was, um, that the short-term rentals were, were a good stepping stone to that. And then also, uh, I just like the uniqueness of it. I like to say that I like to develop properties where the property is an experience in itself outside of the city that we invest in. Um, where I like to say Instagrammable properties. That's what we like to build is Instagram. We're, 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 we're creating experiences for people. I mean, we've hosted close to a thousand people at this point. Um, and I mean, just some of the really cool stories that we've gotten from like people who are like staying in our properties has just been so memorable and I, I just love it. And so are all the so properties all you the developed are currently in uh, North Carolina right now where you're, yeah, they're, you're all, they're all in Western North Carolina. There's a lot of mountain markets in this area where like, if you go. 40 minutes, 45 minutes. If you go an hour away from here, like you're in the, you're in the smoky mountains compared to the Blue Ridge mountains where I'm at. So, um, there's a lot of room for growth just in my market alone. I'm looking at some, uh, markets in Northern Michigan as well. Um, uh, but I've talked to, uh, some of the students, uh, that I've talked to, like, I mean, the, like, uh, who did I just talk to the other day that they were doing in, uh, they were doing in, like, uh, Calgary there and, and, in, in Canada. Um, so like I have experience throughout all, but like all my properties that I like have signed on the debt for it that I'm an owner in our, in Western North Carolina. Wow. And, and so what kind so of properties are they? Cause I think, are they like single family homes? Are they multifamilies? Are they cabins, cottages? What are they? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a little bit of a mix of both. Um, a frames are doing really well, but I like to do like a frames, log cabin, a log cabin in the mountains is always going to do well. It doesn't even matter if it's seasonal or not. Um, all markets are seasonal in some point, but like mountain markets with a log cabin tends to be a little bit less seasonal. People like staying in a cabin in the woods in the winter. Like that's, that's the picture, right? Um, yeah. but I like to invest in develop permanent foundation stick built homes. Some people's budgets might not account for that. And my course talks about that, like different ways you either do like a glamping scenario, tiny houses on wheels. I like to do permanent foundation stick built homes currently where I'm at in my business because there's a built-in exit, right? So like, say if like the short-term rental laws change in my area, say I say, say if bookings are down, say if something happens, uh, I can either sell that property to a short-term rental investor if I want to exit the property, or I can just sell it to a family, a, a family who wants to live in it, a couple that wants to live in it, someone that wants to live in it. Cause these, these have bathrooms hooked up to septics that like, and then they, they have full kitchens. They're, they're houses, they're single family houses, but they're unique. Yeah, that, that, that's great because you have exit strategies. I think for a lot of like people in real estate, they just want to stick with one thing. But like you said, like you have several different exit strategies should something happen, which I think some some investors, whether the novice ones or not, they have no clue, right? They just have this one track mind. I'm going to hold this forever. Something changes, the cash flows go down and they're like, oh, what else can I do? Or the fixed and flippers like, okay, I fixed it, but it's not, it's not selling. Something's going on. What can I do with it? like we're in a correction right now. So it's like interest rates are going up. So it's like, if you were flipping a property, like what, what, it, what does your property look like right now in terms of trying to sell it off because it, it might sell for a little less. So, I mean, to all your listeners, any type of business you're in, it's always, I know it's like you're, you're putting your blood, sweat and tears into your business and you never want to think of it ending. Right. But it is it, one of the most important things to do to protect yourself is always to think of the end in mind, like what your exit strategy is for your business. Oh, that, that's great. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of it, especially with those who just start some, any kind of business, right. They just want to get it set up and starting to run. And they just think it's going to go on for whenever they decide. And then of course they never know. They never think about the end in mind. Like what's the, what's the, uh, what do you call that? I'm losing my train of thought here. 
succession planning. Who's going to take it over? Are you going to give it to your kids? Or are you just going to totally liquidate it altogether or just close right. it? Right. And when obviously with this pandemic, everything seemed to be people were like, I spoke to an Uber driver just recently. And what he was telling me is that nowadays before, you know, when the pandemic hit and you weren't really to do much, Uber drivers started really picking up over the last few years. But now that Uber has now increased the fees of the, to the driver, mind you, Almost like, let's say, I'm going to use an arbitrary figure that he told me. It's like, if he was charging $10, he, instead of pocketing like $7.50, he's now pocketing maybe $2.50 for that particular ride. So it's just one of those things that, and it's a lot of them, they close their business just to do Uber full time. So right. you got to be careful with stuff like that. So And, um, and th that actually leads, if you don't mind me asking that, I'm mean, saying that, that that sort of leads me to my next point about um, like we, we're, we're listed on Airbnb and VRBO, but a big part of our business in the last year and a half, two years has been transitioning away from that and building out our direct booking site um, where um, Mark Simpson, uh, he, he's a sort of a, a pioneer in the space of direct bookings and short-term rentals is like, he says, don't build your property on someone else's land. I mean, I'm in development. So that, that, that rings very true to me. So it's like, it, like I'll, Airbnb, VRBO, all those booking platforms will always be, will always be a part of my business, but it's always like, how can I, how can I create a self-sustaining business as well? And that's, that's where our focus has been in the last year and a half or two. Smart. Yeah. That, that didn't think about that. Cause I think people are just going to say, they're just going to rely on these particular platforms. And then what happens if something goes wrong they with their algorithm with actually, which, which actually just happened this summer, Airbnb completely changed their website and their algorithm. And there was like a weird transition phase where a lot of bookings fell off. And it's like, oh. if you're only listed on Airbnb, there was a lot of articles written about it. A lot of people in the space that create YouTube videos and content around short-term rentals talked about it. Um, so it's like that, that was a tiny, that was a wake up call for me when that happened, uh, when that, like that happened and then some other stuff that had happened as well. But yeah, it's like, don't, don't build your uh, property on someone else's land. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so where did the name Sargon Investments come from? Like, is that something yeah, that? That's funny. That, that you're the. I've probably done thirty podcasts. You're the first person to ask me that. So, I'm I'm Chaldean. Um, I speak Chaldean. I speak Aramaic. Um, and Sargon was like uh, one of the person who established one of the first cities. He was like one of the. I like to say one of the first developers, but like in like my parents are from uh, born. In, I'm first generation American. They're born and raised in Iraq. Um, and just where they grew up is like where like. Uh, uh, you can look it up, uh, Sargon the Great is, is what it was called. Um, he was like the person who developed like one of the first cities. Um, so I'm a developer and my company's developments and we developed these like micro resort communities. So that's, that's where that name came from. My, the, the, the investment side of my company is called Sargon Investments. Well, cause it's a very unique name. And I was just like, I'm kind of curious. Cause I always used to ask my guests before, like when we hit the tips from the pro segment, like what name should I not use? And I use my personal example of when I used to be in the fitness industry, I went out and did private practice for a bit. I used to work in gyms and I started my own thing. And then I had, I had to get the URL cause I never had a, a website before. And I said, okay, I'm going to use my full name, fitness and performance training.ca or something like that. It was such a horrible email address. It was just so yeah. long and all that sort of stuff. So it's like, so what, what would you tell people not to do when it comes to coming up with a name? That, that, that's the first thing. So like uh, Sargon Investments is actually a DBA uh, doing business as, as a, uh, to the original name of the company six years ago, which was, and it still is. Um, I mean, it, it reigns true to what's happened in the markets today, but the company was called Recession Proof Property Partners. And just trying to get that on a credit card or trying to like spell that <laughs> yeah. out to someone over the phone. Uh, is terrible. Uh, so I would say just go with something short and simple. 
Yeah, um, no. I don't like, I didn't like tying a lot of people. If you look at funds, um, like a short-term rental f- or real estate funds or any type of investing fund, a lot of times the last name of the person is tied to the business. I always think of succession. So it's like, what if I decide to sell the investment arm of my business one day? I don't, I don't want my name to be tied to it. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. makes sense. Makes sense. So, sorry. And just so my listeners know as well. So what type of services do you provide? Cause I guess when they're listening to this, like, oh, wow. So he's just going to develop these properties, like all this sort of stuff. But then there's that keyword investment. So I'm like, okay, so what services do you provide prospects or even clients? Yeah. So, um, so Sargon Investments just raises capital. Um, that, that's, that, that was the big part of my business for the last couple of years has just been raising capital for investors. Um, right now I'm not putting, I'm not putting that as like a backseat or anything. We're like putting that on the back burner, but, um, the, the course has really been the focus to a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, because what I realized was with me talking to investors and I did get a lot of really good investors through, um, through capital raising, like we raised $5 million in 90 days. Um, when I was, when I was raising the capital for the the projects right now, like with me doing 24 and me probably doubling that next year, um, or tripling that next year, um, the investment capital is already there. So and Sargon investments raises capital. Um, and then we just take on passive investors and we do joint venture agreements. Um, I tried doing a syndication, but it just got a little bit too complicated for where I was at. Um, but a lot of my focus has been just towards the course because a lot of people, I'm a writer for bigger pockets and bigger pockets, one of the biggest real estate platforms. Um, and, um, what I realized is just a lot of people coming to me, talk like asking for 15, 20 minutes of my time. Um, they're, they're just, they're starting at the ground level. They don't even know where to start with development. They don't even, I mean, they, a lot of times they don't even know like what, it, like what a short managing a short-term rental entails. So that's what, that's why I put together the course was I just push people towards that course. Hey, this is the last six years of experience I've had and the hundreds of thousands of dollars of mistakes I've made. Um, so that, that's where my focus is going to be the next couple of years is just really building out that course, building out that mentorship. Hey, do you need an error-free website? Do you need transcriptions that's accurate and on time? Would you like to remove noise from your video or audio recording? Do you need a spokesperson for your business? If so, we can help. At Northway Capital Group, we are happy to announce that we are now providing website testing services, audio transcriptions, and audio cleanup, as well as spokesperson services. We would love to help you on your next project. Contact us for more information at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Damn, no, that, that is great. And just because I used to listen to Bigger Pockets all the way back in the day as well. Like I used to download all the episodes and stuff because I think probably about seven or eight years ago, I thought about getting into the real estate investing game as well. And, uh, you know, like you said, we play all the different strategies. Okay, do we fix and flip? Do we buy and hold? And this is before short-term rentals were really a thing yet, right? I think it was about right. like 20, oh, geez, early 2010s. I'm just going to say it like that. And uh, listening to, you know, Brandon and all these guys do all these different episodes and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if he's around anymore, but. Um, yeah, he's, uh, he's got his own investing uh, investing firm right now, but like, oh, yeah, okay. he's, still, he's still pretty active in the, yeah, the long term. But yeah, so I would I listen to this. podcast. But yeah. And, and sorry. So I was listening to this. And I was trying to tell her, I was trying to get my wife on board. I'm like, okay, we can do this. And yeah. then of course we, she, she said, uh, she kiboshed the whole thing, unfortunately, cause I said, okay, maybe we can try wholesaling. And then she tried all these different things, but my wife, but my wife, Mrs. K is very risk averse. Right. Cause I was like, okay, the idea of just making something, you know, I thought about making buy and hold, maybe we'll just go with that. And the only experience she has was one of her family members, uh, they had a, they had a condo and they were renting it out, um, because they, I guess, they got married and they, they had their own house and they're just renting out their condo unit in, like in uh, central Ontario here. And uh, 
my uncle would have to be coming in there to actually do all the repairs and all that sort of stuff. And that's the only experience that they, they that she remembers. So the idea of saying, oh, what, you're going to, you're going to go in and do toilets at uh, three o'clock in the morning and all this sort of stuff. And so she, she was really steadfast against it. So I said, okay, fine. So then I just invested in REITs, which uh, let, gives me that little bit of experience yeah, in doing yeah. that. But uh, no, back to, back to this then. So when you're looking at a potential uh, location, like how do you pick a location uh, right now, Alex? Yeah, no, I love, love talking about this because this is like the foundation to the course. So, okay. um, so there's, there's two things. There's, there's market selection and there's property selection. So we'll talk about market selection because that's the big one first. So a lot of people will say like, especially if you live in a busier metro market that like, uh, this isn't going to work in my area. Like, right. Uh, so like, I mean, that, that's the first thing that you say, like a lot of times, like starting in your backyard is probably the best place to start because you know that area the most. Um, uh, but it's also, it's, it, we, we get into this, like thinking of like grass greener on the other side, maybe this market's better. This market's better. There's no way of working here. What I always say to people, what I've been, I mean, I talk about it probably 20 times in the course is that you want to start in, think about if, if you feel like you're not in a vacation area, think about where people in your area like to vacation on the weekend, like that, where people like to take an extended a weekend vacation to, maybe it's an hour away, two hours away. If you think of like New York here, um, in the States, like you have like upstate New York, people will drive three hours to take a weekend vacation on the West coast in California. San Diego, people will drive an hour or two to go to Big Bear Lake up there. So that, those are the two extremes here in the States. Um, so that's the first thing is market selection, choosing, all right, if I'm not in a vacation, if I feel like I'm not in a vacation rental area, where in my area do people like to take a weekend vacation at? And that's usually where I recommend starting to investing at. I, I like to stay within an hour when you're first starting, um, just because you're going to be driving out to the property a lot, especially when you're first starting. So that's market selection. Property selection is going to be what is unique to your area. Um, a really good place to start, honestly, is just hopping on Airbnb and just seeing what comes up on their main page for your city. That those are going to be the best properties in the area, um, and sort of modeling those um, properties and their structures and that sort of design. If you're just starting out, don't have a lot of money, obviously, make it the property smaller. Um, but when it comes to actually purchasing land. Um, access to the property is outside of what the property looks like. Access to the property is the most important thing. You don't want your guests to be driving 30 minutes up a gravel road to, before they even get to your property. A lot of times they're going to be new to the area. A lot of the times, uh, they're going to be driving in at night. Um, you don't want them to get annoyed prior to them even getting to your property. So access to the property is very important. I always like to say here in the States, um, if you're, if you're, uh, you want to be off of like a, a paved state maintained road, or at least a paved road. Um, so the, that, that's, that's sort of the three big things is going to be mark, how to choose a market, what type of property, how, how to choose the right type of property, and then just access, access to the property, whether it be like, we put in our own driveway sometimes that's a hundred meters, 200 meters long. Um, but outside of that, it's usually off of a paved road that the guest is coming off. Uh -huh. Well, yeah, because I just, I can imagine driving to on a gravel road, and let's say you have a nice car, you're bringing it there, and all of it's getting is pellet, it's getting all it's these dents, all that sort yeah, of yeah. stuff doing it. You're like, wow. And they could yeah. be, and that could not even be your fault. It could just be, could it be a municipality thing or a city thing? And just because they're going to your place, they can just, you know, blame everything on you, unfortunately. Yeah. So I mean, if, if you are forced to get a property, that's like a little bit more remote, just make sure it's in the marketing, make sure it's in the listing. Maybe the guest understands what they're going to go through before they book it. 
Um, you can, you can, you can twist and market a property, whatever, which way you want say, like if a property doesn't have access to internet or very slow internet, you can market the property based off of that. Uh, just make sure that you're communicating to that guest. If you have to go that route. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and now with everything now, like, so now that everything's starting to open up now, and I think it's actually opened up now. So yeah. are, st are short-term rentals still going to be a thing? Cause I know from before when everyone had to be staying at home and you couldn't go anywhere. You know, when there's even just a little bit of a chance that you can travel, that's when I assume like the Airbnbs, the Airbnbs start and the short-term rentals really market us point out super hot because then, because if you were not allowed to leave your, your province or state or whatever, yeah, because right. of all the different mandates you had to like, okay, everyone's just going to say, okay, we're going to stay local, but we're going to try to find, you know, like you said, an hour away and then just start going to there and, and starts to book. So do you think, how long do you think that'll last before oh, it'll I be think, I think it's going to be around, I mean. Short-term rentals are not a new idea. Um, yeah. I, I, one of my, one of my very first, uh, I'm, I'm a part of like a mastermind that I, that I coach for as well. And, uh, one of the coaches in that mastermind is from Australia and she's like, short-term rentals have been around forever. Um, luckily I was operating my business prior to COVID. So I know, like I saw that spike, just like you talked about it. It's settling down now, but there's the, the properties are still profitable. People like to stay in the unique properties. I've, I've been saying that prior to COVID and COVID just put that statement out in the spotlight. Um, but the, the, the coach had said like, Jesus Christ had stayed in a short-term rental. Like, it's just the way, it's just a funny way of thinking of it. <laughs> yeah. Love but it. it's like, they've been around forever. It's just the way that we book them as different. Back in the day, it used to be, you have to pick up a phone or you had to go on a specific website. There was not really a channel. I mean, you ads maybe before. from a newspaper or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's just the way, just like how, like we went from direct more like direct mailing to like email marketing. It's the same type of thing that happened with short-term rentals. Um, I, I, I mean, I would encourage anyone who's in any type of business. I mean, Amazon's a, here's another really good example. Amazon's a really good example. Jeff Bezos himself has said that Amazon is just the Sears mail, mail order catalog just on the internet. So it's, it's the same type of thing where it's like, whatever industry you're in, it's, it's going to go through its changes. Just understand that you have to be plugged into the right masterminds, reading the right books, taking the right courses, blah, blah, blah. Just being a part of the right things because your business, your industry is going to go through these transitions just the way short-term rentals did when Airbnb and VRBO got big. Um, but I'm, I'm in it for the long-term, man. I mean, my whole, my whole times for my properties are 10 years, but like, I mean, we've held, we've held our first property for six years now, but we're, we're, we're still developing properties this year that we're going to be holding for another 10 years. Like you have to be in it to the, in the long-term and that approaching a business with that type of mindset also makes, it's going to make you the subject matter expert in that property or in the, in that industry, um, because you you've been in it for so long. Um, I'm not a huge fan of like hopscotching businesses. Like I'm in short-term rentals for the long term, And I like to say hospitality at this point. Yeah. Like, and at least you're, but you're sticking to what you know best. Like you're not going to say, right. you're not going to start developing industrial property. You're not going to start no. working on commercial stuff. You're talking, this is your niche. This is what I'm going to stick with because this is what I'm good at. And you know, yeah. maybe in the future you might consider it, but Hey, that you're going to focus on this. Like you said, to get your yeah. targets that you're and, looking to get. And I'm in, I'm in commercial real estate now, but it's still in the short-term rental space. Like we're developing these micro resort communities of like anywhere between six to 15 cabins but it's still short-term rentals. It's still hospitality. Ah, very interesting. Yeah. So how big of a team do you have working on right now? Like, cause you, you said yeah, you're managing multiple yeah. developments at once. I'm thinking, well, unless you can literally fly all over the place and have a, have a tour bus that can take you all over the place. I'm assuming you have some help. 
Yeah, um, I'm a huge fan of keeping the team as lean as possible with people who are actually like paid directly through me, like in terms of having them on staff. I have surprisingly outside of two assistants, I have nobody on staff. Um, I have, I, I rely very heavily on real estate agents um, that, that can send me pictures and updates. My general contractors are not on staff as well, just because so many things can change with a GC. Um, so I have multiple GCs that work for me on different projects. I would say GC and real estate agents, the biggest thing when you're developing, um, because they're going to know the market better than you are. If you're coming into a new market, um, especially how to, the, the different things that you're going to run into with developing a property, different things you're going to run into with purchasing a property with a real estate agent. Um, when it comes to the management side, we, I rely very heavily on technology to automate most of the business. And I obviously recommend that to anyone who's in any type of business. Um, and then number two, we actually, I think I just watched an episode or listened to an episode that you had done on uh, someone who was talking about virtual assistants. Um, we, we use virtual assistants that have already worked for Airbnb in the past. Um, we just hire them through Airbnb hires a lot of their VAs from through Upwork. So that's how, where we hire the VAs from. Um, and a VA can take on a lot of the different, um, aspects of the business without you having to be there. Um, so most of I would say 70% of our messaging is automated. And then the other 30% that's not is handled by the VA. When it comes to having boots on the ground outside of your, your GC and your real estate agent that could send you pictures and videos of the project as it's, as it's being done, um, my boots on the ground is going to be the cleaning company. The, my cleaning company that we is not in-house, um, we hire a, a third-party cleaning company. That's the boots on the ground. I don't, I don't need an operations manager because the, the cleaning company is going through and inspecting the property at least once a week, if not two or three times a week. Um, if anything is wrong, they send me pictures or they send my VA pictures and they send it directly to Airbnb or whoever. Um, they handle my lost and found, they handle my inventory and they just charge me directly. Um, and then same thing, if there's anything wrong with the property, um, they just contact them. I, uh, I have a maintenance person that's on retainer. I pay him 400 bucks a month. Um, and then I pay him hourly if he actually has to, has to go out there. Um, outside of that, man, like those are all the different pieces. Um, that like, I don't, I keep a very lean team. Well, so sorry, just, uh, you just would cut my attention there for a second. Yeah. Sorry, man. No, no. What, well, first off, thank you for listening to the other episode that was that I just released that this morning, but anyways, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. aside from that, so you're saying you had your cleaning company that is kind of like your boots on the ground while you're there. Yeah. And uh, you said, I uh, just some, something there where they're looking at it and if they see, they snap photos, but I'm like, did you just say that some people might actually, like some guests might actually might take some of your stuff? Like from your building? Not take it if there's like some sort of, we allow pets in our properties okay. and that's probably where a lot of their damage comes from. But like if they like chew up a blind or something or if like, um, we haven't had like, oh, oh, here's another good, here's a good example. Like we had a tree fall on a deck, oh. like a tree fell on the deck and it broke everything. And outside of the guests sending me pictures, like I had my cleaning company go out there and send me pictures. From there, I sent those pictures to my GC and contacted and coordinated with my GC. So it's like. I mean, things are going to happen. And I'll tell you that a lot of the stuff that you hear, like the horror stories with short-term rentals, um, those are, those are like the, the, the anomalies in the baseline, like where it's like, th those are the things that, those are the horror stories you hear of. Like I might host a thousand people over the course of a couple of years or over, over the course of a year, but maybe one or two things bad might happen. But yeah, it's right? funny when you talk about the horror stories, but that's the one that the media or other people just like to blow up. And yeah, make it seem right. like that's going to be a norm thing, right? And yeah, the only reason I ask is right. someone took and your like, guest. You, you see Airbnb get attacked so much on short, like on, on, on whatever media platform, anything. But it's like, there's bad things that happen at hotels all the time. Like it's, it's the same thing. It's just hospital. It's, it's another form of hospitality is 
what it needs. Um, that's my that's my goal over the course of what ten years is to make how how people make that transition. That it's just a different way of doing hospitality. Yeah, no, it is. And I just kept thinking, like I thought you said when you were talking about the clean. I thought they were like, like the guests were actually like taking whether it's like your dishwashing stuff or taking like the cutlery. I'm like. They actually do that. Oh, I guess to me, it doesn't I mean, sound like something I would do. But does that happen? I don't, I don't keep track of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they'll maybe take like a a plate or something. But we like, well, I mean, just getting on the management side of it, like we like to give out some freebies, anyways, and that sort of helps with like the reciprocity thing. Like, if a guest or a host gives you like a freebie in the property you're staying, you're less inclined to steal <laughs> from that property, I guess. Well, yeah, no, it's true because I had a previous, I had a former coworker where she runs a, a just a one be a Airbnb property here in Ontario, and she always, you know, sends all of her guests whether it's a Christmas card or just like a fruit little basket just to say thank you for staying in yeah. her thing. So it's like little things like that. It doesn't have to be yeah, something yeah. major, right? My favorite thing, and I actually took it from one of the coaches that's a part of that mastermind I'm a part of. Um, uh, I like to include like um, it's like a we call it the like a it's like a pancake mix right like the shaped pancake yeah. mix um and I, I put it i put it like on a serving tray and uh that property is actually called puppies and pancakes but it's like a we put it on a serving tray with like a waffle iron and like a spatula and everything and just like two three dollar thing man like makes a world of a difference yeah because i mean everyone looks for you know everyone likes to be nitpicky on certain things but when you see little things like that it just puts your mind whether they use the pancake mix or not but just like right. you're showing it's there. that you're there. It's a, like you said, hospitality, which is great. So now I think you mentioned before, you said you were, you had your plans for the next five years. You're going to be building, I believe, almost 1 million cabins or something like that, right? What was, what's the exact number there, Alex? <laughs> yeah, the number was, the number was 650 and that, that includes building and then purchasing like a big part of our business right, right, right now to just sort of just place capital with the money that we've raised is um, having like my real estate agent and looking at these different cabin communities that already exist where there's room for growth. So like we're looking at a six cabin community that's like a wedding venue that has 12 acres attached to it where we can build another 20 cabins if we wanted to. Um, so that that's that's how I'm getting to that goal of 650 cabins in the next like four to five years. Yeah, I, I first read that, I'm like, for over five years, 600 built? I'm like, wow, he must be really have a great yeah, built, or, built or owned. I mean, it's just like, it's going to be a mix of both. Um, I looked into purchasing boutique hotels as well, but stabilized boutique hotels, there's a lot of times there's not really any room for growth for those. Yeah. Interesting. Good to know. And so for all this then, so all these plans, how do you manage your expenses in a way? Like what's been the biggest expense that you had running your business so far that a lot of people wouldn't even realize? Aside from collecting capital, uh, so right? When you get into short... And this is why I created the course. When you get into short-term rental development, short-term rental, when you get into development period, you don't, and it's and it's any type of business. You don't know what you don't know, right? Um, you, you don't know the snakes that are hiding in the leaves and stuff. And uh, I would, I mean, the, so all my expenses are tracked through my GC. Like my GC will do my pro. Like I, again, this is why this is why I lean on very experienced people that know way more than me. Um, so like the GC that we currently use is one of the biggest GCs in this area. The reason why he decides to work with me is because I can bring him the deal flow. Two years ago, I'd approached him and he said no, but going back to like systems, um, I mean, our property management software is going to be big or PMS. Um, and that, that tracks all of our expenses in terms of inventory and everything. Again, inventory is mainly handled by my cleaning company. When it comes to development. Um, usually your GC is going to have some sort of system they use to track all expenses, track draws, track overages, track, like if you're under budget, over budget, the schedule and everything. So I lean heavily on those people. I lean 
I don't have to pay for those systems because they're already paying for it. Uh, well, that's, that's good to hear. And so now and you said you talked about like you're the Instagram of, uh, of development and stuff like that. So what other social media tools do you use in your business aside from Instagram? Yeah. I love it. So podcasts are huge. Um, I, I have my own YouTube channel called Alex Builds. Um, and between podcasts, YouTube, and then being a publisher for uh, being a writer for Bigger Pockets short-term rental content, um, those are the three ways that I sort of get a lot of my stuff out. Um, and then now the coaching, the coaching stuff as well. So the, the, that's been the biggest. Bigger Pockets in this course have been the biggest thing for that. Yeah, no, they, they, they've been around for such a long time. I'm surprised that... Uh... They're still around because I guess not that surprised that they're not around, but I guess when I when I went on their website, I looked at how big they've gotten. I was like, "Holy oh my gosh, crap, yeah. they're big!" And it's crazy because I rem I remember three years ago I was talking to um. There's another big YouTuber called uh, Rob Build, and I, I, my YouTube channel is not big. They have like we have like seven or eight hundred subscribers, but it's very very niche, right? Right. Um. But Rob Built um does some very similar stuff to me, and I remember I had purchased like a coaching call from him like three years ago just to pick his brain. Um, where I was in the middle of developing a couple properties. And I remember we were just talking about like, like how behind the curve, like bigger pockets was on the short-term rental content. And it's so funny now because Rob actually is a co-host of their podcast, the big <laughs> podcast. And then I'm a writer for their short-term rental content. So it's like, it's crazy where they, they're, 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 sometimes they're a little be a bit behind on what's happening with real estate, but I mean, they're, they're, they definitely lean pretty heavily on the short-term rental content. And I've just been fortunate enough to be a part of that. Well, I think it's, I think it's something right now that a lot of people that's, uh, it can be a business, a legitimate business you can do. Cause I think for most part, a lot of people think, okay, I got to buy like, cause especially here in, in Canada, like I think the average price of real estate right now is like $1.1 million for a single family. I know. Home. Yeah. We have, we have, we have some family that have purchased crazy, crazy. And I think that's what scares a lot of people because they're like, where am I going to get the money? to buy some, even putting 20% down or 30, 25% down. Cause now they're right. putting the interest rates up. They're like, I think that scares a lot of people. So that's why a lot of them think, oh, I guess I can't just do that. And you know, and, that, and then I think there's a market. Cause I think now I'm seeing what I'm seeing a lot of now uh, for advertisements for real estate investors here in the area that are now people that are saying, okay, they just want to, they just want you to partner with them and that you don't even have to, but it's more of a buy and hold thing. So it's not a short-term rental thing. It was more for buy and hold to say, yeah, you, you just, you know, you, you invest with us and, you know, you don't have to do anything because we'll do all this sort of stuff. And I guess they're just trying to raise capital for these different properties. Yeah, and I, I did that as well, but it's like, if people are trying to do it themselves and I'm going to keep plugging the course, but like for, <laughs> I cover that where it's like the, 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 if you're in an area that's very expensive, there are strategies to do where you don't have to do like stick build houses. You can do like a glamping type of type of thing. Tiny houses are everywhere. Now you can just purchase them and ship them anywhere. Um, so there, there are different strategies to like implement if you're in a very expensive market where even building costs are crazy expensive. Well, yeah. Well, the funny thing, I'll, I'll make this one little note. What, what is your, my wife was trying to sell me on tiny homes, not, not to yeah. invest, not, not, not to invest in Alex, but to live in. And I looked at her, I said, oh, you want a, you want a tiny home? She's like, yeah, we're going to buy two. One for you and one for me, because I can't imagine being in that kind of space for, for that. Yeah. So I would say, uh, let me see if I can move. So like. Somewhere there, there's like a shelf of just tiny house books there. And it's not just tiny house books on like how to build them, but it's also like uh, some of the books are really cool because they talk about the philosophy of living in a tiny house. And what I've realized, this is not everyone. So anyone who's living in a tiny house here, don't, don't send me hate comments or anything. But uh, what, I, what I've realized is like, um, there's a really cool tiny house community about like 20 minutes away from where we live. And um, there's like a there's like hundred properties. They're all tiny houses on wheels. And um, 
I would say like 15 of those properties are short-term rentals and the, the cleaning company that cleans my properties cleans, turns those properties as well. And what they've realized over the course of like five years is a lot of those, pro uh, a lot of the people who've lived in that community long-term, they've gotten bigger houses. They've gotten bigger, tiny houses. And one of the books that I read, like they, they moved their family from like a three, two or three bedroom, two bath house, where I forgot how, how big their house was, but they moved them into a tiny house. And what they ended up doing was getting like two separate tiny houses for their kids where like the main house had like the kitchen and like the, the bath, um, I think the, their house had a bathroom too, but I just, for me, it's like, if you're going to live, it's, it's, it's a lifestyle. Like you, you are living a specific lifestyle. I think, I think that is the first thing ne people need to think about compared to cost. Um, like, yeah, it's way cheaper to go out and purchase a hundred thousand dollar tiny house, $150,000 tiny house, but it's like, you need to be mentally ready for like right. the, the living portion of it. And what I've realized over the last five years is people who've made that transition into like the tiny houses, they end up going bigger. So it's like, just live in a normal house at that point. Right. If you're going to purchase two separate tiny houses, just live in a normal sized house. Yeah, because I thought that I thought because right now, like with demand being so high and it's really hard because everyone has that, the dream vision of, of the, like you said, the three, two or their, that single family home that they can live in for 20, 30 years or life home. And I always thought, well, I know because the, the supply has always been an issue here, especially I'm sure not just in uh, United States, but also here in Canada, that I'm like, the fact that you said there's actually a tiny home community 20 minutes, I'm like, why didn't someone think about that in, in Canada? Because like you said, aside from the mindset, it's not such a bad idea. Because if people were struggling to buy, because if the demand is so high and the supply is so low, of course the rates, the, 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 the price is going to be so high. So if we had more quote unquote tiny home communities where you could, like you said, build a hundred of those or at least that alleviates some of it while we are doing these other things or the manufactured homes. I don't know what's your opinion on manufactured homes. Yeah, no, I've done, I've, I've done, uh, there's a log cabin, uh, manu there's a manufactured log cabin company that I've worked with that we're building two cabins together with. Um, they look like, they look like normal houses. I'm not against that. Um, that's cheaper, but it, like that technology and the building practices in that industry with manufactured houses have, has gone so advanced. You can't even tell a lot of times. Well, that's what I'm saying. Why don't they do more of those? Is it just because they're, they're more wide than, than taller? I think there's a stigma. I honestly think there's a stigma to it. Um, I, uh, section seven of my course talks about going big mm -hmm. and it talks about developing short-term rental communities and short, like the tiny house communities, because they don't have to be short-term rental communities. Like the whole point of the course was just to give you, here's a, here's a fire hose of knowledge. Um, and you can do with it, like some of the stuff that I teach, I haven't implemented, but other people that I've talked to have implemented. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, going back to that original question. I don't know why that hasn't been more popular. Yeah. Um, I, I, maybe, maybe, maybe zoning laws haven't caught up to it. That's yet. what I was maybe thinking. That's what it is. Right. Cause you, at least from what it looked yeah. like, it was more, it looked like it was, cause it could be like 2000, 1500, almost 2,500 square feet. And, and that's almost like a bunk. Cause I know for Mrs. K and we want to retire. I know this is not well, anytime soon, but we're always looking forward because uh, she's a physiotherapist. So a lot of her clients are a little bit older. So they have trouble going up and down stairs. So to her trying to find more like a bungalow to retire in was, is going to be maybe in our future plans. Right. But not now, but then if you look at nowadays, it's almost hard to find a bungalow, at least here in, in Ontario and Canada, because everyone wants the, the, you know, the, the, like our current home right now is four bedrooms, four and a half bathrooms. 
right? Two rows of stairs. So a lot of people are, it's, so it'd be really hard to find some of these things. But sorry, back to the question here. So when you tell people you're a developer, because I, I guess you already kind of, you're in the industry section of this uh, podcast now. You already kind of talked about the industry and the direction it's kind of in. But when you tell someone you're a developer, what's the most common misconception that uh, you hear, from whether it's an investor or just someone just said, oh, you're a developer? They think I'm a GC. That, that's oh. probably the biggest thing. Is, uh, they, they think I'm a general contractor, which some developers are general contractors, but um, developers tend to have very smaller teams. It's usually, I look at a developer as a delegator. Um, when I was in the military, like delegation is everything. So it's like, um, that's the biggest thing. And then when I started in development, I was only 22 years old. So the, the biggest thing that I ran into when I started was just, I mean, I'd, <laughs> I'd walk into a bank and ask for $2 million with no experience whatsoever, besides maybe one property or whatever. Um, so that, that was the biggest thing was just sort of getting past that age thing, which I like, I relied pretty heavily on mentors to do that. Um, which is a completely different topic, but, um, essentially just showing banks, the team that I had put together, my real estate agent was one of the best ones in the city and blah, blah, blah. Um, which I mean, that, that ties into any business, which being able to sell the vision to the people that work for you is very important. Interesting. So last question on this industry. So I like to ask this to a lot of my guests. So what has been, cause you've been doing this a while already, what has been your biggest failure, but also your biggest success so far with your company? Yeah, my biggest, uh, failure, um, has actually happened very recently, but, um, I'm, I'm happy that it worked out. Um, is you need to, if me being a developer, um, I've worked with small GCs and I'm working with bigger GCs now. And when you're, um, when you're, when you've set some pretty lofty goals for yourself, just gotta make sure I'm saying this properly. So when you've set some pretty lofty goals for yourself, um, you need to make sure that the people that you're bringing onto your team also wanna go in that direction. Um, so I've, I've made the mistake of giving people too much work that they couldn't handle. Um, and say, um, like across different sections, whether it be um, real estate agents, whether it be general contractors, whether it be anyone who's working for me, I've made the mistake of realizing, okay, there, and like, like my GC, like if, if they're working on four projects for me, they're easily making six figures, mid, mid six figures. Um, so my mistake has been some people are comfortable making that, which is completely fine with me. Um, but I need to, you need to rec I needed to recognize that. And I'm recently went into the transition of working with a bigger GC where that was my biggest failure was sort of wait, waiting on a lot of work that wasn't getting done because I sort of overloaded my GC with work. Um, but I mean, what I learned from that and what I learned from that was just, I mean, you need to understand people's goals before they start working with you. Um, which is, which has been such a phenomenal learning experience. Well, yeah, I think the funny thing is, is that when you partner with someone, I guess, especially if it's someone that's really gung ho, they really, and let's say, you know, whether they're new or they just, they're just so excited that they want to do is tackle on as much work as possible. I mean, it's very I think that people forget how much, because I always tell people on my podcast is that, you know, stop trying to market to everybody for whatever business you're in. Only focus on what will, on your ideal client, because yeah. there's no point. Amazon started with books. Yeah, like, it's just a book thing, thing. Yeah, right? And so you yeah. don't need to go that far and just try to market to everybody. Just stick to who you, you think will be the, make the most sense. And that can only take so much work now that you're, you're talking about partnering with these other companies, because I'm sure, I'm sure every GC will be like, oh, yes. Give me all the work you want. Give me all 650 projects. But if which has happened to me, but yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, and, but if they, if the quality of work is not there because it's just too much for them, 
that's now delaying all the timelines and all the targets you have set up. So it makes sense when, okay, we can, we know that the cap, that max number of projects this, this, this supplier can handle is maybe like four. The other one, maybe two. Yeah, four. And then the other one, okay, yeah. maybe this one can handle 10. So then at least yeah. you, you can work with that. So, and so that's the first thing I asked them. My first thing is like, it's, I don't even ask, like, can you handle this? It's like, okay, what are, what are your goals for this year? It's like, okay, I want to make 150,000. It's like, do you think like, if we push that to 200,000, would you be comfortable taking on that much work? And it's like, if they say yes, that's great. It's like some people are fine. I mean, that's, that's a phenomenal living making 150, 200,000 in a year, um, in their pocket after everyone is paid. But it's like, yeah, that's been a big thing. I just had that conversation with my real estate agent, uh, my real estate agent, one of the, the, in my opinion, the best real estate agent in this area. Um, she, she had recently broke away from, uh, her, her partner, her business partner. And then it was because her business partner wanted to become like the best real estate agent in the country. And she was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to spend time with my family. Like I'm comfortable doing 30 million in, in gross, uh, like in gross every year or like in, uh, in sales every year, which is still a massive number. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I've lit, it's, it's become part of my business to, when I bring on someone new to sit down and be like, these are my goals. Um, and are like, where do you feel comfortable? Cause like you, you need to get that read from those people for sure. Yeah. Cause especially with people that aren't on salary. Well, yeah. Like if, if they're like at contractors and stuff. Hey, you, do you need a voiceover? Well, look no farther. Northway Capital Group has your answer. Commercials and explainer videos, AVR and voicemail, health and wellness, corporate training and e-learning announcements, documentaries and biography. Contact us on social media or email us at northwaycapitalgroup at gmail.com. Now it's time for tips from the pro. And sorry, this goes, this mod, this is now from the tips from the pro segment here. So how many, yeah. how long did it take you to get really comfortable with, uh, you know, so this, now we're in the tips from the pro where they're saying, okay, I'm, you know, we're, we're finding a GC and everything. How long did it take you to get that comfort level? How many deals did you give that GC before you realized, okay, this is a person I can tr count on that I can either give them more or, or I know the kind of quality that I, I can just let them run with it. And they're not, they're not going to bother me as much. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, so. Honestly, after that very, so when you do one project, I mean, one, I would say one and, but one is spread over 10 months. Like you're, you're working with someone for 10 months straight. So it's, it's more of a time is when I think I would say, I'd say it took me anywhere between eight to 10 months where I was like, I was comfortable with them requesting their own draws with the, the money being deposited into their bank accounts and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's more like a time thing. It's like, okay, this person worked very well for eight to 10 months. Um, even if it was just on one deal, uh, I'll, I'll take them on to the next one. And, um, currently depending on how big the GC is and what their experience level is, like I just recently brought on a smaller GC as well. Um, I'll give them like a renovation project. Like we're, we're at a point now where we do, like I said, we acquire some cabins with some land attached to them, uh, where we, we might do a minor renovation on a cabin and then, uh, build more properties down the road, like in a year or so after that property is being, so I'll take, I'll take that new GC give them that renovation, see how they work on that. If they do really well on that, they can have the rest of the, the cabins that we plan on developing on that land. No, oh, so, so would then, so I guess the question here too, then would it make sense? And like I said, I haven't read your course yet, and maybe this might be more course related, but someone who's just starting out on this, do you, should I try to develop or should I just find something that's already been built? And maybe like you said, not fix and flip it, but fix and fix, like do the renos for it to make it a short term. Would you recommend that strategy in the beginning? It, 
it depends where honestly where they are like because i i've i mean i'm sure some people who are going to be purchasing have some sort of renovation or rehab or construction um like i was i was just on a different podcast where like it was just a construction podcast so anyone who's going to be purchasing uh, or being a part of the course um they're they're already going to be like like set up to do that i i say like i say it in the course um it's honestly your level of, of risk comfort level and then just how much capital you have to push out um, it's going to determine what type of property you develop. Um, if you want to just dip your toes in, I would, yeah, I'd recommend starting with just a property that you can rehab, which we talk about how to rehab a property and then building more down the road. Um, that way you have a built in cash flow as well. But hey, say, say if like the right piece of land hits your, your table or your, your desk, um, and it's, it would be a ground up development. Like our very first cabin we built, we may, we probably created 300 grand in equity and half of that was just how good of a land deal we got. Um, so I, I don't want to completely phase that out, but yeah, it, it would make sense to do your first one if you just want to dip your toes in. And for something like that, so if I'm one of your students and let's say I'm fairly new and for some reason that deal comes like right in my lap where it's like, oh, there's an opportunity here. Do you, does your course or do you offer that kind of support that'd be like, all right, Alex, I mean, I wasn't planning on this. It just so happened that looks like the numbers seem to match. Are you able to at least consult with me on this one so I don't kind of mess yeah, up yeah. on there, that? There's a, there's a support group coaching uh, part of the course as well. No, I won't, especially if how complicated development is, there's no way I'm just going to be like, here's the course, here's the course, figure it out. There's so many little things, so much market specific stuff that that would not, I'm trying to step, I'm trying to stay away from one-on-one -on -one coaching until the course grows out a little bit bigger, just because I want to focus all my time on the course. Um, but there is a group, there is a group coaching aspect to it where there's like a private facebook community and everything okay and so next yeah, no, i appreciate you talking about that no, as well absolutely. for sure no no i couldn't i could there was no way i could have just put a course together and just covered every little thing Set it for kind of thing, right it takes six months to put the course together but it's like over 100 videos but outside of that there's still going to be small things that come up which is good because it keeps you on your toes and makes sure that you're up you're releasing the course with updates and stuff like that because i think it's it's yeah, you know absolutely. you think you just do it once and set it forget it it's not that's not that's not the case so and like we said in the beginning the markets are always changing your your industry is always changing like it's you need updated stuff all right so how does someone so that now this like i said so this is still from tips on the first second how do i know how not like i guess the question how to, how to word this properly how to not over renovate a property if the rate that we can charge because i guess maybe it's one of those things mm -hmm. that you know what maybe it's because we, we think maybe to take the emotion out because i think when we see a property we might want to customize it to what we think we would actually want to live in because we're thinking oh that's our client but then in some cases i'm sure there are some investors and maybe some newbies too that just over renovated put in all this stuff that you know they're not cash flowing a lot out of it or they're actually maybe even taking a loss so what is your advice yeah. on to make sure you don't over renovate a, a property if that's the case right developing is one thing but yeah 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 developing as well i mean with the finishes and everything you can go pretty crazy really quickly um yeah, no, I love that. So I'm a huge fan of technology on the management side. I'll put as much as money as I want into technology because it, it automation is key. When it comes to technology in your properties, keep them as simple as possible. Outside of having an electronic lock to, that, that manages the codes for guests, um, there's no technology. There's no Alexas as a very cheap, like kitchen appliances, not cheap, but like very simple kitchen appliances. Yeah, they're not going to hook their Wi-Fi um, so onto them, it, right? They're not going to hook their Wi-Fi onto that. No, no, no. Yeah. Because the, you don't, the, my, what I always say is you don't want, you, you don't want your guests, when you're in vacation mode, you don't want to be learning nothing, <laughs> right? You, you, you want to walk into a property that's turnkey where it's like, 
Um, if people want to bring their Alexas or anything to the property, feel free. That's completely fine. But um, outside of that, you don't want to be teaching your guests. Like we've played around with the idea of having like automatic blinds or like having like a smart home. That's a property you would live in, right? You, when it comes to, you want basic essentials when it comes to, same thing with your small kitchen appliances, like very basic stuff. Um, cure eggs with the screens confuse the hell out of people. Um, so like stuff, like little stuff like that. So technology is one thing. And then finishes, like you, you don't want to go with like, if you want, sure. I haven't really seen a big difference in it. Like, um, like here's a good example there, the, here in the States, I don't know how it is in Canada, but I'm sure it's the same. Um, there's like, if you do metal roofs, there's standing seam roofs and then there's corrugated roofs. The guest doesn't care. And the price difference is like triple. Like the, the difference between doing a standing seam and a corrugated corrugated is going to be the cheaper one. It's like literally double or triple to do that. Um, the warranty is practically the same. It'll last you like 15 or 20 years. Um, it looks a little nicer, but the guest really doesn't care. No one's ever complained about the roof. Same thing with the flooring. We do some pretty cheap vinyl plank flooring that lasts us about eight to 10 years. Um, maybe a little bit less than that. Guests have never complained about that cheaper flooring. Same thing with like, we go with like a mid-level paint. Um, I like to use white if, if we're not doing like a log cabin, um, because white, white opens up a property a little more. We'll do accent walls and everything, but yeah, going, going mid-level stuff and going a little bit nicer on like, maybe you don't have to go nicer on it. Just having some sort of color scheme and interior design eye, um, helps a little bit as well. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of just like throwing premium finishes at a property. Cause on it, like with my experience after doing it six years, the guests could really care less. Well, yeah, I think it, it's true. I mean, it, it's, you have to remember they're not, it's not a long-term tenant, right? This is not a buy right. and hold. This is actually, like you said, short-term. So a couple, last couple right. of questions, then we'll get to some more of the fun stuff here. So, all right. Who would, whose opinion would you take more advice on when it comes to decorating your, your, your properties, your real estate agent or your, or an actual interior decorator? Probably my wife. There you go. Uh, no, but, uh, <laughs> Um, no, so, um, there's some really cool tools out there. Um, I'm not going to recommend one out right now, just because, um, the one I was actually using, they, they changed their business model, but there's some really cool online interior design firms that take like three, $400 and you can send them floor plans. You can send them pictures of your property and they essentially place everything for you and they can create like a little, you give them a budget as well. And they'll like create like a list of where to get everything. Really? Um, that, yeah, that's been really nice over a local interior design firm, the, the benefit of that is they'll probably stage the property for you, but you'll pay like anywhere between seven to $10,000 for that. Um, paying someone three to $600 to do the interior design of the inside, that's money. All right. Any other yeah. cost-saving hacks for the new person doing this when it comes to whether it's staging, yeah. whether it's construction, what is your... Yeah, I like, um, I like walk, especially staging. Um, staging will... That's the hardest part of the business to automate, especially if you're purchasing stuff. I don't know if Wayfair ships to Canada, but um, Wayfair, Amazon, um, I ship everything to the property. And then, but a lot of times when you're shipping stuff to a property and you're not using like a traditional furniture company, um, you'll have to put that furniture together. Like we just furnished a five bedroom cabin. It took a very long time to put together all the furniture. I like to walk in uh, to a local furniture company, um, purchase a couple items for them, for the cabin, for the property. And then I like to ask them, hey, does anyone does anyone that's working for you guys, uh, putting together furniture in the back, if they want to make a couple extra dollars on their day off, um, they can come to my property and essentially put together the furniture for me. I'll pay whatever 15, 20 bucks an hour or whatever cash. Um, that's, that's been really key to like 
finding someone to put together a furniture without using like a handyman service. Cause I found that's a little bit more expensive. Like someone will put a dresser together for you for like 150 bucks, but the dresser maybe costs 300 bucks. So it's like you're paying so much more right. money to put that dresser together. Yeah. All right, last couple. So that, I've just walked, I've walked into furniture companies and just asked them, hey, dude. That's a good tip, one. actually. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And last couple of questions. I'll try to make this fast because I know I want to be appreciative of your time you're here. Fine, brother. So any special insurance when you're developing something like this? So a lot of, uh, I used to have, I used to use proper insure. Um, they're, I think they're mainly in the States, but what I've realized instead of trying to get, so you get, you get like Airbnbs, short-term rental policy, whatever, they have their own thing, but an extra layer of protection. Um, a lot of insurance companies now, like bigger, the bigger names, just ask them about if they, if they insure short-term rentals. Cause like here, I recently realized that like state farm insures short-term rentals, oh. um, here in the States. And it's like, it was like, it was like a third cheaper to do it that way than to use a specific short-term rental insurance company. Oh, good tip. Uh, and they, 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 they will insure the property and your revenue. Like if something bad happens at the property. Wow, that, that's really good, actually. All right, last question before yeah. we get to the fun stuff here. Uh, what is the best strategy to deal with? I'm going to give you a two-part question. Difficult contractors and difficult guests. What's your yeah, best strategy? So contractors, just just set timelines for them. If, if, if you give them a two-month time. So like say contractor being like if it's a specific like a framing crew or whatever. You just got to set goals. Um, I feel like we're we're farther out away from COVID now. During COVID, the, everything was a little crazy yeah. where you couldn't really set that. But we're further out from COVID now where I think it's realistic to ask for a development schedule or like some sort of timeline. And if if they're going two, three weeks over on that, it doesn't matter if your weekends, holidays, rain, weather, whatever. If you're going three weeks over on something um, and you already have the permits in hand, that's, that's when it's time to find a new person. When it comes to difficult guests, some guests are just going to be terrible. Right? <laughs> there's no, there's no making them happy. Um, again, that's a, that's a, that's an anomaly out of, out of the thousand people that we've hosted. Um, if, if, if the issue is because of my company, if for some reason the cleaning company missed the ball or something or missed the mark on something, I like to send like some sort of gift, whether it be like a dessert, like we have crumble cookie here. Um, I like to like get like deliver cookies to like the guest as like a sorry or like on top of refunding them the cleaning fee, I'll send them that. Outside of dealing just with a bad guest, I mean, you just got to ride out that storm. Mm -hmm. I like to reach out to Airbnb or VRBO directly. Hey, I've done everything or like my my manager does. Hey, we've done everything we could to make this guest happy. We refunded them their cleaning fee. We refunded part of their stay um, and they're still being difficult. I've, you can request for them not to review the property where it's like, I don't review the property, you know, review the property. Um, that's how I've helped just handle bad guests. Okay. Interesting. Good to know. Good to know. And as a, okay, now with more lighthearted stuff here, what has been the funniest story that you've had for your business so far? Like in this whole journey that you've had, is there any funny moments that you just can tell the listeners that, uh, you know? Yeah. Funny story. Um, funny story. It was just something that happened that was actually, um, a purchase deal. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it's one of those things where it's a funny story now, but while, while we were going through it, it was like a pretty crazy story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we, we had a guest come through and just like blatantly lie about like everything, whether it be like the, the property was like a mess and everything. They checked in exactly when they were supposed to check in, which was like three thirty three 3 PM. Um, and they were complaining at like 11 or 12 PM. They left the property, got their refund and everything. And then I had my cleaning lady go out there. Cause they complained about like dog hair all over the place. And we, we, we strip beds and everything crazy. 
And uh, my cleaning lady went up there at like midnight and she was, or the manager, and she was like, they had a dog with them and they cooked a full meal. <laughs> and then they decided to just complain and leave. Wow. And they got like a full refund. And then, so like, um, yeah, that was, uh, we, we have cam, we have a cam, you're allowed to have one camera that pull, points like towards the parking area, not nothing in the inside of the right, property, right. just like on the outside. And we saw like the guests bring a dog with them and then cook, like essentially they stayed at the property for seven hours and then left. And then they complained about dog hair, which was not crazy. So <laughs> that's the funniest thing that happened. Uh, just some, some people are a little cuckoo. Uh, <laughs> now it's time for the rapid fire round. All right. All right. That was the rapid fire stuff. This is more of the fun stuff here. Uh, not, yep. not that that story wasn't funny enough. It was nice to hear that. All right. So question number one there, Alex, what would the 15 year old self be imagined you'd be doing right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, I joined the military to become a special forces Marine. And, uh, that's probably, I, I decided when I was 16. So I, I guess that's close enough. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really have too much like, uh, Outside of that, that, that was my goal was to become a special forces Marine, uh, to a certain point. Um, so that's probably what I thought I would be doing, honestly, for like into my thirties. Right. Um, I never, I never would have thought I'd gone as far as I get with like my formal education as well. Yeah. Like I never thought I would have gone to college, got my MBA, finishing up a doctorate, all that fun well, stuff. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Like I, I read that in the intro. So it's like, oh, the listeners are going to really appreciate that. And so what listeners need to remember is, yeah, don't mess with Alex. That's all you have to remember. Cause he has, he knows <laughs> stuff, right? So, all right. So we have a second question. What is something you really don't like, but you wish you loved? I wish I, I, so like the, the creating content, I absolutely love, but sitting down and like scripting content and like creating blog posts. Oh my gosh. It's like, I love, I love watching the finished product, yes. right? Just like a property, right? Um, I love looking at the, but like sitting down, it, it's yeah. I wish I enjoyed that process. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that like. It's one of those things where it's like a, a lot of times if you're procrastinating, procrastinating on something, I feel like you need to delegate that to someone. But when it comes to content creation, you can't delegate that. Like you, you, I feel like you should be a big part of your content creation. Yeah. Maybe you try to get some ideas from other people, but yeah, to actually sit right. down I, and I'll tell you something, um, this is not as, as that, cause I raised my hand listeners can't see that, but yeah, I was yeah. raising my hand when you was talking about that. It's hard to create contact sometimes, but one thing I wish I liked, but I really don't durian fruit. For some reason, oh, we're going food in general. It could be anything, yeah, yeah. durian and tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. I hate both of those things with a passion, but it's funny because yeah. my wife and kids love it. I, yeah. I've tried it many times. I still can't get over it. I, 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 just, I just, I try, I, I try not to, I, I don't like tomatoes either. I try not to hate food, <laughs> like a specific food, but no, tomatoes are up there with me too. Yeah. I can still eat it in like a tomato sauce, like a pizza or a spaghetti sauce, but right, right. sliced tomatoes. Pizza, I can't. No. Yeah. All right. So My dad has a massive garden too. And like, <laughs> I, like it like blows his mind that I won't eat tomatoes. <laughs> All right. Now you got to rank these three on, on, on best list here. Best magician, uh -oh. David Copperfield, David Blaine, Chris Angel. Uh -oh. Who was your top three? Yeah. I'll, so I, I've, I've, I've met, I've met Chris Angel. I've never met David Copperfield. I, I, I would say for, so a lot of the stuff that I trained for the special forces actually, um, came from like David Blaine, like a lot of the Marine special forces stuff is water. Blah, really? blah, blah. So I got into a lot of breath hold stuff when I was younger. Um, so I put David Blaine, David Copfield, Chris Angel, but all the, all, I mean, all three of those are phenomenal. I just, 
I love David Blaine stuff because he does a lot of the endurance stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, wow. That's funny. I love, I, I love that question. <laughs> well, it's just because, you know what? I know we don't, there's not a, maybe we'll put this on the video someday. Maybe we'll have you back again where you can actually do one of your, because he, people remember the intro. He's actually also a magician too. Not just, uh, not just the developer and, a, and you know, high-level Marine person here. He can actually do magic tricks. Now, I do magic tricks for my kids and they just roll their eyes because they're just like the silliest tricks you can imagine. I, I think it's, I started when I was a kid. My mom got me in it because uh, I was a little bit introverted and she was like, she's been a school teacher her whole life. Um, but it's been a phenomenal networking tool, man. What? Like it's like pulling out a deck of cards, coins, and just doing something at a networking event. I thought it was a low cost of entry to be to be a magician because, okay, I don't, I, I can't do the props like the Copperfields and all these other ones, but cards, coins. But you know, that, oh my God, I, crazy. But I don't find, like when I wanted, was interested, I don't, I could not find a magic school located anywhere. And I thought typing magic school online would be something you'd be, I'm sure it's there, but yeah, how yeah, good yeah. it's the no, quality, sure. I don't know. Right. So, all right. Last question. We yeah, not necessarily magic school. You have to purchase like the, the trick or like the thing individually and stuff. Oh, that's how the, the, the model right now. So you can't just yeah, take there's a like, course. Like hundreds of DVDs behind me and like a little thing that I, that, that yeah, it's not necessarily like a college or a course that way I have with the, the thing, but it's like, it's more like you got to piece together your act quote unquote oh, okay so it's not like there's okay here's the program you can do for kids and here are the programs you can do for adults that's yeah, like yeah, individual really, tricks no. and you just kind of put like a comedian finding their jokes and yeah. putting in their act okay all right exactly last question i always ask this to all my guests here what is your theme song and why so you're walking down the street that song, song hits alex is coming oh that's funny you know what, for anyone who's uh, uh, coming from the military, I'm just going to say the Marine Corps anthem just to troll them a little bit. Uh, <laughs> I've never thought about that before. That's funny. I've had some people say that it's like, you are my sunshine. Okay, that's fine. I've had other people that had like some death metal thing or some hip hop thing. I even had WWE themes as as some of the guest yeah, favorites. Yeah, troll some of my military buddies. I'm going to say the Marine Corps anthem. Marine Corps anthem. Yeah. Nice. All right, so... Any other final thoughts here, Alex? Like I said, great having you on the show so far. Is there any other advice you can give to anyone, whether it's development, short-term short-term rentals, or just who wants to start some kind of business themselves? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just the um, any type of business getting into, like, it's going to require work. Like, you need to focus focus on one thing and do that to to a point. Give it a give it a couple of years. It's going to take that long, no matter if you're in tech, no matter anything. Um, you need, you need to become a subject matter expert. And the way you do that is just setting, uh, I would say two to three hours a day, a day does uh, to, to focus on that, um, when you're first starting out. And then it obviously it gets more, there's, there's more to it than that, but you need to sit down for at least a year and just figure out something. Yeah, no, that's great to hear. And, and the most important thing, where can people find you, your course, and how can they reach out to you? Yeah, so uh, we're we're launching the course here in the next couple of days. Probably when this gets pushed out, uh, September fifteenth is when we're launching it. But um, my personal website has everything. Uh, AlexDrago.com. Um, you can sign up for the free masterclass to just go through essentially what we went through here on the podcast, and then you can purchase the course at the end if you want to. Um, but yeah, I mean that 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 I just spent the last eight months putting that thing together. Um, I like I said in the beginning, I created the course that I wish I had when I first started. There is every aspect of short-term rental, anything that you need to know in that course. It's a culmination of the last six years of development and management and the hundreds of thousands of dollars I've either lost or I've spent, I've, I've probably spent close to 50,000 on mentors alone that everything that I've learned from them is in that course. Wow. And, and how long is the course? Like how many hours and how many videos is it? I believe. 
120 videos wow. and it's, it's over 10 hours of content. Um, but it's, it's meant to be plug and play. So like, you don't have to do the complete management course, like to, to finish. It's like, it's, it's, there's workbooks, a part of it where it's like you, you're, you're doing your, as you're going through the course, you can implement stuff that day. And that's, that's why I created it that way. Um, it's, it's seven sections on the building side, and then it's three sections on the management side. So 10 sections total. And there's a, it's, it's, uh, it's the fire hose, man. It's, it's the, the master class. But thing. you have, but yeah. they, they, there's always coaching available for your support team. If people had questions, so it's not, uh, like you said, set it, forget it. Like if they're stuck on something, they no, can always reach out to your not. team to, to, to clarify yeah. certain things, right? Absolutely. Excellent. So, and then the, the group coaching is going to be led by me like once a month as well. Always. So it's good. So people just will be like, wow, it's the person who's, who's do, who did the course isn't, we're now working with him. So that's really good to yeah, hear. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm plugged into it. Like, again, I didn't want to create it like a set of forget it course. Like this is something I want to be focused on the next couple of years is building out that brand. All right. Well, thank you very much, Alex. It was, it was awesome having you on the show. I appreciate you, brother. Do you have a small business story to share? The SME Stories Podcast is looking for entrepreneurs to share their tales of success, failure, and everything. If you're interested in being a guest on our show or know someone would be a great fit, please contact us at Northway Capital Group at gmail.com. That's Northway Capital Group at gmail.com. All right. That was our episode with Alex Jarbo of Sargon Investments. It was a really fun podcast because I don't know if you can tell, but I used to be into real estate back in the day and, you know, trying to re invest in real estate and learning about all the different things like fix and flips, you know, buy and hold and all the wholesaling, all these other types of strategies. And now there's like rent to own and, you know, and there's other one I can't even remember right now, but um, it was really good to really talk with Alex to pick up some nuggets on there. And I think the, the key thing that stuck out to me was when it came to looking for contractors and how, you know, you might want to toss a deal or two at them. So how can we relate that to our business? Well, if we're going to be investing in a service to do anything for our business, because we're obviously when we're looking to outsource anything, we're looking at it to rather pay some money to give us some time back so we can focus on other areas of the business. Uh, so I think with that approach is be very cognizant of who you actually try uh, to outsource to. Uh, I think what's a great uh, solution from him is like, obviously you, you talked about him is that you might give him, he might give them a deal or two to see how they deal with it. And I, I can relate that to myself. Like if I'm looking to someone to edit my video podcasts, you know, instead of me paying a flat fee or a, you know, a year contract for them to do all my editing services, I'm going to give them a video. I'll give them a podcast that I did. And let's say it's not the easiest one to edit because let's say there was stutter stops. There was some freezing during an interview and to see how they actually try and do that. Because to me, if I'm going to invest my money into them to handle that function, to save me time, I need to know that, okay, if I give them a really bad video, a video podcast, if they can edit it in a way that looks great, then that's the trust I would have, then that's something I can earn uh, they've earned my trust that they can handle that because 95% of my videos, so 99% of my videos uh, that I produce for my podcasts are fairly simple and straightforward. But there is that odd occasion where, you know, the guest internet's not working very great. So there's a lot of times their screen freezes and it doesn't look good. Now, you, most of my most of my podcasts are on audio, but as I'm starting to move towards uploading my podcast to YouTube and to actually show the people who I'm talking with, that's what I'm talking about. So that's why you should, whenever you type of service you want to outsource, give them a little piece of what service you would like for them to do and evaluate it and maybe negotiate that ahead of time. It's like, look, I know you do like a, you know, a monthly retainer or year contract, but here, let's just do one, one job, 
one month or whatever it is, one week, whatever the service they say, show me you can do this. And if it is, then we can negotiate a better rate. Or then maybe we'll say, we'll invest in that maybe year contract, monthly retainer, and hopefully you can get a bit of a savings on that one. So I think that was a really good tip to really learn. So, all right, guys, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. Like I enjoyed recording it and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the SME Stories podcast, which is owned by Northway Capital Group. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Northway Capital Group.